writing in my diary is a pleasure to me. It, it's something that I do habitually and it's part of my life's daily activity and I enjoy it. And so the quiet of the life around me has not really changed that pleasure that I'd get. It's the only thing that stops me from completely going around the twist, actually, is <laughs> writing. So, yeah, it's continued to be the main pleasure and joy of my life. Helen Garner has kept a diary since she was a teenager. In the latest edition of The Monthly, she's published extracts from the diary that she kept during lockdown in Melbourne. In it, she writes about the world that she's spent her life in changing in front of her. She also writes that never before has she done so much washing up. I'm Ruby Jones, and today on 7am, celebrated author Helen Garner on the fleeting moments of her time in isolation. Helen, let's go back to the very beginning of this pandemic. What was it like watching it unfold on television? What did those images evoke for you while you're at home in, in Melbourne? Terror, of course. Uh, thinking, is there any reason why this isn't going to happen here? Well, looking at what was happening in Italy was horrendous to me. Another big rise in Italian numbers. Yes, Mark, I can't quite believe we're seeing these numbers. 919 people have lost their lives in the last 24 hours. The sheer numbers of people succumbing to the coronavirus is overwhelming every hospital in northern Italy. Everyone knows someone who has died or is ill, and everyone is scared. And just the idea that there was going to be a triage of who was going to get to the ventilators and that there might actually be, you know, some sort of life and death choice going on. They were people who died without anyone who could hear or see them, without the possibility to talk to their loved ones, without anyone who could comfort them. I think I found the most horrendous thing to see was the aerial shots of the mass graves in New York. It is somehow unimaginable, unbelievable, that in the most famous city of the richest country in the world, they're digging mass graves for those who can't. Where you could see those huge trenches that were dug and and the, the strange white coffins or boxes or whatever they were putting people in lined up so precisely in, inside this dark hole. We've lost over 7,000 lives to this crisis. Uh, that is so shocking and painful and breathtaking. I almost couldn't, um, I almost couldn't compute it. My imagination just sort of jacked up look, looking at it. Watching those scenes and I suppose also thinking about the increasingly real possibility that that a person could catch COVID-19 in Melbourne, did that make you think about death? Um, yeah, I think about death as much as the average 77-year-old, I suppose, anyway, without there being a, a virus. I don't want to die. I don't think about it all that much. I mean, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who has death horrors. Um, mm. I suppose that means I really don't 
like most living people, I don't really believe that I am going to die on some deep, deep level of myself. Rationally, of course, I know that I will. Mm. But the the virus, does it change that or change other experiences that you've had where you have actually had to, to consider death and, and dying? I once had pneumonia a couple of years ago and that was the most frightening experience of illness that I've ever had. I woke up in the night and the whole surface of the room was rippling and my bed was rippling like the surface of water and and I was dripping with sweat from the fever and I got in the shower and that sort of cooled me down a bit. But I, I, I was still knew that something was badly wrong and I, I thought that I'd gone mad. I thought, I know what's happened. I've gone mad in my sleep and now I'm mad and I'm going to be mad for the rest of my life so I better get used to it. And so I got back into bed and I fell asleep and when I woke up, I was no longer feverish. But I have never been so frightened in my whole life. Everything I thought was real no longer was real and... I mean, it was just ghastly. I'm, you know, I mean, I'm saying this blithely now, sitting here all clean and wide awake, but I, I fear that sort of thing much more than death. I mean, death, you, you imagine, is, you know, just a blank out and it's all over. But this was some horrible thing that I was going to have to endure forever. I suppose that's what hell is, really. So if it isn't death that's in your thoughts... What does stand out about the way in which you've experienced this pandemic? As the time went on, I I found that I lost a sense of time. I couldn't figure out what day it was often. And I couldn't, as I think I said in the essay, I, I couldn't remember whether I had actually gone out for a walk that morning or not. Around about four o'clock, I'd think, what have I done today? Did I go for a walk this morning? And I wouldn't be able to figure it out. It seemed like all the little signposts of of the immediate past uh, were no longer there. And I found this really frightening. But when I read other people's accounts of what's going on in lockdown, I realised that this was quite a common thing. So I stopped panicking. We'll be back in a moment. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read the Saturday paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper. The whole story. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. There are just six hours of freedom before our entire city starts to endure a second lockdown. 
hundreds of thousands of Melburnians will be in lockdown again. As the metropolitan Melbourne prepares to lock down tonight. Greater Melbourne is under a stage four lockdown for six weeks until the 13th of September. Police are enforcing a ring of steel, booze bus style roadblocks and harsh penalties for those breaking the rules. Uh, that means sweeping new restrictions including a nightly curfew from 8pm to 5am. Now during that... We're all Melburnians now when it comes to the challenges we face. We're all Victorians now. Helen, I wanted to ask you about the emotion that comes with forced isolation because a lot of people have spoken about community spirit and and staying strong and that sort of thing. But I wanted to ask you about rage. I think that I sensed glimpses of it in your piece. And so I wondered if that is an emotion that you've felt during this time. Well, uh, how can I shorten this? I I know these old people who moved into care just before the first lockdown started. They'd moved across town to Camberwell, neighbours of mine. And so it was not possible for me to see them and visit them. And so I got into the habit of sending them a postcard every week. So when I got to the post office, there was a queue of people coming out the door. There must have been about 10 people and they were all correctly spaced and everybody was masked and I was masked. And so I looked at it and I thought, well, if I get in this thing, I'll be uh, in this queue, I'll be there for half an hour. So I'll just run in. And so I held out my, I was holding up my envelope, which was obviously an express envelope. And I sort of ran up the steps, dropped it on the counter, turned and ran back. So that would have taken me 10, 15 seconds max. So as I was coming out of the door, I heard a woman's voice said, that wasn't very nice in that sort of challenging tone. And I looked around and there was this, a woman standing there I couldn't see anything about her except that she was small and wearing a dark coat and she was masked and had a beanie on. And I said, pardon? And she said, you just respected everyone in the queue. You just ran straight in. And at that moment, I felt a blast of rage. So I controlled myself and I said to her in this tone of voice, would you like me to tell you what I did in there? And she just held up her hand. You know, she made that gesture of talk to the hand where she put the palm of her hand into my face, like in front of my eyes. And I could have cheerfully um, bashed her to death at that moment, I think, or throttled her or kicked her into the gutter. I mean, I was filled with this insane rage and I managed to get a grip. There was a lot of people standing around watching. So I... I got a grip and I just ran back to the car and I sort of made some, I just nastily and sarcastically said over my shoulder, stay well, and I went and got in my car and drove away. But um, I felt uh, rather ashamed of it. I felt that I'd behaved in an ugly way. But I was at that moment seized by a sort of rage that I think was coming out of the whole experience of lockdown. Mm. And if you follow the thread of that, rage do you know where it takes you is it is it about powerlessness do you know what it's about it probably goes to fear I've, i in my experience fear is at the basis of almost every ugly emotion not just mine but everybody's and my fear is not of dying my fear is that this is the end of the world as i know it And that's, I suppose you could say that's another, death might be another word for that phrase. 
But I, I think I don't know what's going to be the end of this virus. I don't see this pandemic being suppressed. I mean, I think people will get a grip on it, a tentative grip on it, and then it'll rear up again. And I suspect that we're going to have to live with this virus for from now on. And that mm. that is going to change the world in ways that we can hardly imagine. So you think that after all of this, people will be different and, and the world will be a different kind of place? Yes, possibly. I, Because I've got grandchildren, I, I can't... I don't want to stand up and start trumpeting about this is the end of everything. I can't bear that. You know, that's completely unbearable to me to try to think about the future when people I love so deeply are young and going into it. I don't know how to even think about that. And so I think my mind jams on its brakes at a certain point. And I wonder if that's the case with a lot of people. There's a fear of collapse of things. It's possibly a, a very, very extreme version of the anxiety that we feel about global warming and climate change in general, where we know that bad things are coming and we know that the people that are running the world don't seem to give a shit. To think that those people and those forces are, are in control of, of the world fills me with a kind of nameless terror. Hmm. Helen, thank you so much for talking to me today. Is that my final note? The note on which we're <laughs> going to end this? Would you like a um, Would you like a more positive one? Well, in the essay, I work myself. Oh, you know, I make it sort of a gesture at the end, where I've had that unpleasant experience with the woman at the post office, and I found that I am in fact filled with mad rage. And what? I've, I've sort of strung through the essay that little theme of the reading group and that we're reading of its metamorphoses. And, mm. of course, what that's about is, well, in one sense it's a poem, it's a huge poem. There's a, often moments where gods transform humans into things or creatures or animals or water or rivers or trees or birds and those moments are just so magnificent the most magnificent writing I've imagined in the essay that if I were in the world of, of metamorphoses that I might have been transformed into something I think it says in the essay more benevolent more benign what does it say here at the end let me find it yeah I've said, back home, sprawled on my unmade bed, I wish I lived in the world of Ovid's metamorphoses, where at a moment of unbearable tension, a person can be transformed by a god into a seagull, a limpid pool, a windflower, flimsy and loose on its stem. And I wish that I'd been transformed outside the post office into something better and more benevolent. Maybe an ilex tree, whatever the hell that is, or an island or a warm spring breeze, faintly perfumed with petrosperum. That's how I worked my way out of the essay, but it's, uh, it's not a state that you can work your way out of permanently, I think, this fear that's come. You can stop there if you like. Helen, thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks very much for your questions. Thank you. 
Alan Garner's lockdown diaries are the cover story in the latest edition of The Monthly magazine on newsstands now. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. Subscribe now at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. Also in the news today, Victoria's Chief Health Officer has expressed concern about a rise in the number of COVID-19 cases with an unknown source. Brett Sutton says there were 13 so-called mystery cases in Melbourne in the fortnight to October 1. Victoria recorded 12 new coronavirus cases and one death in the 24 hours to Sunday morning. And the White House has released photos of US President Donald Trump working while in hospital. President Trump is now at Walter Reed National Military Medical Centre, where he's expected to spend the next few days following his COVID-19 diagnosis. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.